Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. It's Scout Fantasy Sports. All right, everybody, it's Dr. Roto. Get out the insurance cards, get out the copay. The office is open, my friends. Adam Ronas. I got a bone to pick today. I got one every day, it seems like, Ronis, but I got one today. Yeah, man, you're like the angry old man. Get off my lawn. That's Doc. I used to be a sweet, lovely guy. I don't what know. Happened? What happened? Is that what age does? Or yeah, what? dude, I was or sweet is it and lovely. Wor- what is it? What, what's know. changed? Is it working in this industry? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> no, I think the older I get, the more my patience wears thin. It's true. Really? Is that the same? Are you like that with your kids as well? Yes. yes really? Oh, I boy. Am. My wife pointed it out. I was like, really? I don't think I am that way. She goes, oh, no, you're that way. I go, seriously? I don't, I don't, I don't want to be that dad. You know? But if you asked my son to describe me in one word, he'd say yell because I'm always yelling at him. Okay. Well, it's nice that you could have someone to point it out to you. I don't know if it's going to do anything. You're like, yeah, whatever. I disagree. I'm well, fine. I, I don't mean to. I, I always say I didn't wake up to yell, but I'm like, dude, I need you in bed. Dude, I need you in the shower. You know, I, I got you know these things that happen, and if, if I don't push it for it, they don't happen. Yeah, and my wife is like too nice. You know, she's sometimes she anything. people tell me like, "Oh, you get loud," and I said, "No, it's I'm just animated and passionate. It's not really screaming. There's a difference. Like when I'm." Debating you know, mellowed. something. You, when we used to do radio when we first started, you would just scream at me. <laughs> and I would just say, dude, are you done yet? <laughs> you nah, but it's not me. screaming. It's just I get loud when I'm passionate. There's a difference between yelling and obviously trying to be emphatic to make your point. That's all. Oh, my God. I got to play you some of those tapes. We have to find those tapes because you were like on me. And I used to tell my wife, I'd say, Mrs. Rodo, I go, I just let Adam scream. And then when he's done, I go, are you done? Yeah, but it's you know what it was, though, is we had some debate, (laughs) and I think that's good radio, too. And obviously, when you're passionate about something and you have a stance, you know, you're going to get into it. So I think that's what Maybe we just agree with each other more now than we did back then. That could be. I mean, (laughs) we got to find something to disagree (laughs) about. (laughs) No, but look, it's oh, I think it's always good to hear two different opinions. Right. And then, you know, you listen to both sides. You go, okay, some good points here, some good points here. But at the same time, I don't want to do something like, oh, we have to disagree on something. It's got to be organic. Right. I mean, and that happens a lot in this industry. You take this side, you take that side. Well, what if no, I don't, I don't like that. that side? I don't yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, that happened somewhere. I don't know if it was with us, but it was yeah. like, all right. It was. Didn't we do something where I, I can't remember at the time. They are like, all right, you take this position and you take this one. And it's like, wait, I don't agree with this <laughs> yeah. position at all. <laughs> and then at the end, it's like, well, I didn't believe that at all, but you guys forced me to take that side, so I had to do it. But I right. agree and with I, the other side. And I think listeners hear that. Like, they know if you don't agree with it. I can, they can tell somehow. Right, because if you have a stance, you can always tell when someone staunchly supports it. Right. Right. And I think I, you're, you're right. I, I think people like disagreeing or disagreements because then they could decide which side they like. Right. And they can. And decide it also I think it also triggers some thought as well. If you just hear, 
people agreeing, yeah, I agree. You know, it's just like, okay, uh, I get it. But they, so when you have like the disagreement and a debate on both sides, I think it just triggers your mind a little bit deeper. Look, in our own news today, you watch, I don't know, CNN, you watch Fox, and you're like, can we even live in the same country? I, I honestly, I don't watch any of it. I've, I, I just can't deal with it. I just feel like it's created so much division right now, and I, it disgusts me. So I don't watch any of it. I, I, watch, I watch Fox at the gym when I'm on the treadmill, and I watch CNN usually at night when I'm eating dinner. And I'm like, how are these two people the same time? <laughs> Americans? They have nothing in common. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even bother. So that's I'm so out of it when it comes to all of that stuff. I leave that to others. Let let people complain. And I just feel like there's enough problems in the world right now. Uh, I want to try and be more positive. I think we're causing most of them, though, dude. Who is? And when I say we, I don't mean you and me. I just I think we're causing our own problems. Oh, of course. It's it's terrible. But that's a topic for a different show. Yeah, exactly. that's going to be a very, that's a longer than a two-hour show, I think. All it's right, like a so, seven-day cruise show all right. throughout the, the day. Oh, by the way, speaking of cruise, how is, your, how is that cruise turning out? Is anybody signing up for that bad boy? Uh, I'm not part of that, team? but I will actually have Paige DeMacos on today, and she's like the social coordinator behind it. She's part of it. so we actually She's like are... the Julie McCoy of the love boat, if you will? Yeah, so she's going to join at 3.20 p.m. Eastern. We'll talk football and about the cruise with her. So those not familiar, like what are they talking about? We'll get into it in the next hour. All right, that should be exciting. So here's why I'm angry, Adam. So have you ever been – I mean, RT Sports, we use it in the industry. You know, they really host the FSTA. They host Labor. I don't think they do tout draft, but I know they do labor and FSTA. And I've never seen a company whose ADPs are screwed up as these. Right. Like, so there, there are certain players that are probably buried way lower that you have to search right. for. Chris Iannetta is like the next best catcher on, on, the, on their list right now. It's like, where do they even get their list from? It, it, it's so, it, it's like CNN and Fox. That's, the, that's how far apart it is. And I've seen that before, but at the same time, don't you think in a way that is a little bit of an advantage for people who are familiar with the player pool and know what they're doing instead of it being presented right in front of your face because it can sway people to make a pick? Well, yeah, and, and I, I do agree with that. You know, in some ways, then don't put anything up there because I, I agree with you. Like when we do the scout football drafts and some idiot can, you know, press a button and see that the next pick is, you know, Saquon Barkley, that's who they're going to take. I right. like that. And you, yeah. you know where he crushed people last year on our contest? Mike Williams. Mike Williams was not going that early in almost any other contest. In ours, when you see Mike Williams at the top of the queue, even if you don't know him or you're not familiar with him, you're going to be like, oh, well, he's been going this high in the ADP. I guess I'll take him here. Right. No, no, I totally agree with that. You could have had him four rounds later in some other drafts than, than our leagues. But it's like, I know we should be doing our own homework. So either do it right or don't do it at all. There's no, don't give me bad ADPs. Uh, yeah, I, I know. I, I have played on the RT Sports platform before, and I know that there are some just guys buried in the two, three thousands, which... Uh, I kind of like in a way. It's like, all right, hopefully people are just because, you know, some people are just scrolling with what's in front of them. I always like to have my own cheat sheet in front of me and right. cross names off as I go this way. I will not lose someone in the 2000s. And what I like to do, and you should be doing this for your real drafts, is if whatever platform you're using, go into it and start searching and look and see who is buried at the bottom and take note and make a note to yourself so you don't miss it. Because if you just go by what's in front of you and you oh, sort by first baseman, okay, I'm going to look at the next 10. 
you're going to lose someone. And you don't want to be in that draft room and the pick is selected and you're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea he was there. Where was he? Oh, he was ranked 2,454. Right. And, and So here's why I'm angry. Francisco Mejia, the catcher, played 10 games last year at catcher and two at DH. They had him down as utility. What's up with that? So what is what is their rule? Because obviously the NFC, I think it's 20, 20 games or and then ten during the year. Okay, so twenty games and ten during the year. So, by so that I mean, but it wouldn't have to be most games played the year before, right? Which would make him a catcher. Okay. So that's not what I was upset about. Well, I was upset about that. Then I literally emailed Tim Jensen last night about midnight, and I say, Tim, it's my pick, and I think I want to take Mejia. Can is there a change? I hear nothing. So then I decide to take Steven Sousa, who I kind of like. You know, maybe they've got some upside coming back. Then about 10 picks later, Real Talk Raft takes Mejia, and now he's a catcher. Couldn't Tim have written, written back to me? Hey, Doc, good, good catch. Something. Anything. And you got no response at all? Nothing. Even after? Yeah, and then the dude takes him. And so basically, I gave my opponent an unfair advantage. Because I would have taken Mejia if I knew he was a catcher for sure. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's something that should have been addressed before. Uh, I guess they're saying that was a mistake on their part. I don't know. You know, you know, you you say that I'm I'm getting angry in my old age is probably true, by the way. But like, I always feel like I'm right. Like, if I didn't feel that if it was right, Ronus, I'd be like, all right, it was my fault. But here, come on, what I send you an email, you can't respond to me. Yeah, no, our response would have been. Fair for sure to say, hey, either it was a mistake, you're right, he should be catcher eligible, or no, uh, we're not having him catcher eligible. He didn't have the 20 games required. So should have been one of the two at least with a response. Yeah. Now, am I over my overreacting? Is Mejia that good? Because I think he's got a he's a great hitter, but it may not. He might even play full time this year. I don't even know what team he's going to be on. What's your thoughts on Mejia? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm a little concerned right now. Are they? You know, they have Austin Hedges. Again, it's not great, but not terrible. I think the biggest concern for Mejia is the defense. And do the Padres trust him to run a pitching staff? And, of course, we've heard JT Real Muto be in the mix of a potential trade to San Diego. So right now, there's just question marks with him where you know he can hit, but where is he going to play? And especially now with the Padres with no DH, uh, it has to go through the path of catching. There's just no other place to play him right now unless they decide to put him in a different position, and I don't really see that be the, the case right now. I think the kid is not ready to, to manage a pitching staff in the major leagues, but I think he can rake. I think he can actually, you know, he'd be a kind of guy, and I know you don't want to put a guy in this spot, but he should be a DH in the American League. He'd be great. Oh, there's a lot of guys like that. I think Jose Martinez is another guy for the Cardinals. We know we can rake. He's got really no position to play. We'd love to see him in the American League. And, yeah, Mejia was there with yeah, Cleveland. Yeah, it surprised me why the Cleveland would trade him. Yeah. Uh, you know, he did have contact issues when he came up in baseball. But, yeah, he can hit, and it's just going to take some time. Uh, he has played a little outfield, but it's crowded there. He did play third base briefly in 2017. Right. I guess they scrapped that. So, uh, it's all about how much he's going to play. And worth taking him, uh, I guess, a shot. When you look at the catcher two pool, I mean, there's just not a lot of names. So if you can get him late, take a shot and see what happens. If you're doing an early draft, sure. But there is definitely concern about playing time for him right now. I think the trade that needs to be made is Real Muto to San Diego 
from Mejia, Manuel Margot, or Fran El Reyes, or some dude like that, and some pitcher. It just makes too much sense because the Marlins wouldn't care if Mejia is any good. They have nobody. And then they get Margot, who would be a good center fielder for them, and they get a nice arm. And then the Padres get a, a top-notch catcher. I think that trade just makes too much sense to me. That's possible that it happens for sure. Obviously, the Marlins are under pressure here to kind of deal Real Muto. Obviously, you know, he doesn't want to be there, and this is a team far from contention. And we do know the Padres have a surplus of outfielders where they can trade one or two for sure. I mean, would you rather have Nick Senzel and Tucker Barnhart? Or would you rather have Mejia Margot on a pitcher? Uh, probably the Padres package. I mean, Margot was one of the top prospects a couple years ago. I know he has struggled, but still just 24 years old. It's true. He, I didn't realize why. He's, he is still that young. So we're doing the draft here, the FSTA, and at some point maybe later on this week or next week we'll go break down the teams. But I'm looking, we're, we're just in round 20 now. There are one, two, there's like four teams, Adam, with no catchers. So let's just stay on catchers for a second. You're in a 29-round draft. When do you want to take your catchers? Uh, again, it depends on, on how the draft is going. I'd like to get one decent one if I could. I just don't want to overpay uh, outside of the elite. And even then, I, I, don't, I don't want to pay a fifth-round price tag on JT Romuto or Gary Sanchez. Uh, you saw the downside of a Gary Sanchez last year. He was going very early in drafts, and there's always risk with catchers getting injured, and his batting average was just so poor. And I don't expect that to continue. He definitely has big power, but I just don't want to pay for that. So, you know, I would love to get, you know, a Yasmani Grandal, Wilson Ramos if I can. So if I can get those guys anywhere from rounds 10 to 12, I'll take one of those, and then I'll just wait on the second one. But I think once you get down – uh, into these rounds, there's really not a huge difference in the catchers, uh, and a lot of them are going to provide terrible value for you. So uh, I don't mind just going with two crap catchers, just hopefully that they don't plummet my batting average. I mean, when you say crap catchers, how bad, will, how low will you go? I mean, I, obviously, I don't want to go to the bottom of the barrel, but, you know, a guy like uh, Danny Jansen is fine. Wellington Castillo, maybe he bounces back. Obviously, he had the suspension last year. Uh, so if I can get those guys cheap, that'd be that'd be nice. Now, I just took Jansen in round 19. Are you hating that? No, that's fine. Is that your first catcher? Yeah, first yeah, catcher. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I have no problem with that. Okay, I just thought it was good value. The guy's a good hitter. Guy, I mean, that's a guy who can hit 270 and maybe 12 home runs, 50 RBIs. I didn't think he'd kill me. Right, and in round 18, that's a fine spot. Uh, some people might get him as a catcher too, but again, if you don't like the prices on the catchers going early, uh, you can wait, and to have him as uh, my number one in round 18, I'm uh, fine with that. Yeah, Castillo just went in round 19. I, th that was another guy I was looking at. I was surprised. Real Muto went in five. Sanchez went in six, and it's funny. I took Peraza, and then as I took Peraza, Glenn Colton and Stacey Stern fist-bumped each other. So happy to get Gary Sanchez. Yeah, I believe they won Sanchez last year, too, and clearly that didn't work out. Uh, and, look, the power's legit, no question about it, but I just don't want to pay that high price tag for a catcher. Uh, you can say, well, it gives us a huge advantage on everyone. Well, people said that last year, and he actually turned out to be a huge disadvantage by batting 186 over 323 at-bats. So not saying he's going to do that again, clearly – He's better than that, and he's a career 252 hitter, and he just had some really poor luck. Uh, and on base percentages, he's a little bit better because he draws walks. But it's, to me, it's just not worth it. You just sacrifice too much on what you're passing on. You're paying 
a high price tag for a guy that you're hoping to get, what, 450 at-bats max? And that's clearly going to limit his counting stats. So uh, it's, I, I said it last year. I'm not going to do it, and I will continue not to do it. It just, to me, it doesn't give you an advantage. I was the idiot in labor who I had picked 15 Ronas, and I took Carlos Correa and Gary Sanchez with my first two picks. And uh, then I took Byron Buxton in round three, and my year was over. Yeah, I mean, that's... It was that's, over before it started. Yeah, that's a really, really tough start to overcome. Like, we, we, can, we can work through picks that don't work out early, but not those picks. that, yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> I you mean, really I have to, to hit on every middle late round pick. I know, I was trying to be ahead of the curve. I was trying to position scarcity. I was trying to take risks at 15. I won't have to do that this year because I'm pick three. So that, that whole thing's out the window. Yeah, at three, you'll get a good player. It's a tough decision at three, though, uh, this I know year. who I'm taking. I know who I'm taking. That draft's in like two weeks, right? Two weeks, February 12th. I, you're going to think I'm crazy, and I'll tell the world right now. I think I'm taking Jose Ramirez, dude. Third base is so thin. And I love Lindor, but I can get a shortstop later. I can't find a third base in my life. Yeah, shortstop is a deep position this year for sure. Times have changed. All right, when we come back, we'll talk a little PGA DFS. It's the wasted, I mean, the waste management open. And we're going to talk to our friend Jeff Burgesson from Fantasy Golf Insider next, right after this. Rizzeri is calling the shots. Joe Theismann, Super Bowl winner. Who's winning on Sunday and why? I think the New England Patriots will win this football game. Tom Brady looked as sharp against Kansas City as I've ever seen him. I will go with the, the wily veterans and the experience. But I love the fact that Sean McVay is on the other side of the field. But you just don't know what the Rams are going to do. Weekdays, 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern on the Fantasy Sports Network and on your popular podcast providers. Hi, my name is Lily. My mom and dad used to fight about money all the time. Then one day, I heard them talking about this guy. Some uncle I never knew called Uncle Sam. Well, they say this Uncle Sam guy wanted them to pay him like a gazillion dollars. And they didn't have a gazillion dollars. So they called this company they heard on the radio called The Tax Doctor. And The Tax Doctor worked with Uncle Sam's people. I think they're called the IRS. And they're able to work it out so my mom and dad didn't have to pay Uncle Sam very much money at all. So now mom and dad are happy. And I'm happy too. Thanks, Tax Doctor. If you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS or state, call now and pay. Less. 800-215-1727. 800-215-1727. That's 800-215-1727. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Wind chill is minus 50. All right, we're back for Scout Fantasy Sports. Dr. Roto and Adam Ronis here with you. And very excited for our next guest, who I'm surprised he's working today because it's only minus 65 degrees in St. Paul, Minnesota. Jeff Bergerson, what's up, my friend? How are you? I'm doing great, Doc. Outside of the perpetual cold uh, here in Minnesota, everything is good. 
you know, down here at spring training, when if you go to the Twins games, they're like, Fort Myers, 83, Mankato, minus 12. <laughs> right, 100-degree swing, right? Exactly. I always think about you when, when I go to the games, like, how do you do it? Like, you've got kids. How do you, how do you even dress them to go outside on a day like today? Well, um, you don't really. They don't go outside. They say it's dangerous. And we just don't let them go out. And they, they had their school canceled the last three days. It, it's just so cold. I go to work because they're at home. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> But they, I tell them to stay inside. Now, when is it supposed to break, by the way? How many more days of this do you have? A couple days. It's supposed to reach 40 this weekend. So that's very doable for me. It's just this has is, is been bad. All right, that's going to be quite balmy. I'm sure you're going to wish that you'd be at the Wasted Management Open. Have you ever been to that tournament? I have not. Um, but, I, I, yeah, it does look awfully fun to go to, though. Uh, yeah, for some reason I thought you and Zach would have been there partying on the 16th hole. That would be, that would be good. All right, so let's get to it. Um, this is a fun tournament. People love it. What would you call this a demanding, challenging course, or is this one of the easier courses? Can guys pile up birdies and eagles on this course? It's a, it ranks about middle of the road on the PGA Tour during the year. Um, I would say uh, they can mount birdies, though, because the par fives are very scorable. They're all reachable in two, so the bombers should be getting there. Uh, there's some scorable par fours as well. So um, we should see a winning score of about minus 15 to minus 20. And that kind of depends on what we get for wind. It looks like the first couple of days should be pretty light wind, under 10 miles an hour. But like at Farmers last week, that course depends a lot on the wind, and the scores were much better because there was none last week. Now, do I want to look at the AM versus the PM wave? Will the ball travel farther later in the day when it's a little warmer? Do I want to try to find guys who are the Thursday PM wave, or do I not want to look at that? I like that strategy personally uh, because it, it, you can look at the forecast and stack your lineups accordingly based on tee times. Um, if the weather looks advantageous for one wave versus another, but I like to stack them both ways a lot of times because there's not much more unpredictable than the weather. And we've seen a couple times this year where wind is kicked up during certain tee times and it's really hurt. I mean, we're talking like two or three stroke difference on the field. So I usually like it, even if the forecast looks like it'll be even throughout the day, I'll stack both tee times if I'm doing multiple lineups. All right, so let's look at the top end there. John Rahm was actually much lower owned last week than I think people realized. Why do you think that was? You know, I, I wish I could tell you. Um, I don't know if it was a matter of people just trying to be contrarian because if you didn't like John Rahm last week, I don't know when you like him because Tory is tailor made for his game. And I didn't end up. I didn't end up owning him in my core for that simple reason because I thought he would be around twenty twenty five percent. And maybe if everyone thought that, then everyone stayed away, and he ended up being under ten percent. But had I thought that, I would have owned him. So I think the same could be true this week. There's a lot of good options at a cheaper price, and I think we could see those top guys like Rom or Justin Thomas right below him. Uh, a little less owned, maybe 15% or even lower. All right, so you mentioned Justin Thomas. I mean, he, he's always a great player, but Matsuyama owns this course. I mean, this guy has, been, has won it two years ago, and then 2016, 2017. Before that, I was a T2, T4. How do I not put him in my lineup? 
Yeah, and he looked great last week. He had been slumping for quite some time, and I owned a lot of him last week because I know what his upside is. He's just a top 10 player in the world overall in talent, and we'll see guys go through extended slumps, and then all of a sudden they'll just snap back into their old ways, and he did that last week and looked exceptional. And now he gets a course that is he's loved in the past. I mean, he had four straight top fives. Last year he had to withdraw, but that was because of injury. So he hasn't had he hasn't been outside of the top five. Uh, I but but I also think his ownership will probably reflect that as well. He he should be the highest owned in this top tier. All right, is Gary Woodland? Do you like guys who won a tournament last year? Do you think I mean like when Matsuyama went back to back? That's rare. Will you fade Woodland this year because he won it last year? Does that do you not even register with that? No, I'm not going to fade him this week. Uh, he's been playing really exceptional golf outside of Sony, but he had kind of an emotional letdown at the end of the Tournament of Champions. So I'm going to I'm going to say that was because uh, he so he missed the modified cut in the Sony. So I'm going to say it's because of the week before. But he bounced back, um, and, and he's playing exceptional golf right now. So I will own him. Sometimes um, the real obvious plays don't turn out to be. Uh, highly owned because people fade them just because of that. So sometimes the defending champs uh, get overlooked because people see that and they're like, ah, oh, everyone will everyone will own them. And then no one ends up owning them. So uh, I'm going to own Gary Woodland this week. All right, you mentioned overlooked. Would players like Webb Simpson or Ricky Fowler or Matt Kuchar get overlooked this week by any chance? No. No, none of them will be overlooked. They'll all be owned uh, probably high teens to low 20s in ownership percentage. All right, let me, let's go through some players here. Cam Smith, I like him as a pivot this week. He's not very well known by people because he's Australian. Is he a good pivot if you want to stay in the 9,000 range? Or will he will I get some low ownership on him? Yeah, he will. Um, he will have much lower ownership. He is generally lower owned, and you have so many popular options with Kucher, Mickelson, Fowler, Fino, Simpson, Woodland. That is going to be where everyone gravitates towards. So, if you want to pivot to a more contrarian option, Cam Smith will be owned by under 10% of the field. So, and, he, and he's been playing great golf. Some of that has been over in Australia, but it's all, he's also played well here as well. So you're getting you know, a decent savings and an ownership break. Is this course made for Adam Hadwin because he's a very, he used to be a great putter. I don't know if he's putting as well, but he's not the biggest hitter. Is this course made for him? You know, a, a good corollary course to this course, Doc, is the stadium course at the Desert Classic, which we saw a couple of weeks ago. And he dominates that course, and he always has. He's had some success here uh, in Phoenix, but not to that level. So I'm not personally going to be on him. Generally, I like to, I tend to go with the longer hitters because there's much more leeway if other parts of their game are are off. If you're a shorter hitter, you better be good, sharp with your irons. Your putter better be working because you don't have the length to make up for some mistakes. So generally, I like to edge toward longer off the tee guys. And Hadwin is, is shorter, um, so his game needs to be precise with his irons, and he needs to be uh, have the flat stick be hot. So um, I'm not going to be on Hadwin this week. I'm always leery about Billy Horschel because when he's good, he's really good. When he's bad, he's disgusting. He's riding some momentum. Can I play him this week? Yeah, I think so. Uh, we're back to Bermuda Greens. 
which he tends to play uh, well on, uh, although he, he put it pretty well last week on the POA greens, and he has been looking really good uh, so far this season. He's always kind of had middling finishes here in the 20s and 30s, never any huge uh, breakouts, but uh, I like Billy this week. The price is okay. I'm all right with it. Um, and in the ownership, he should be owned by probably 15% of the field. So I'm, I'm lukewarm on the play. I will have some ownership. It won't be a, a ton on Billy. All right. When I think of West Coast golfers, Shez Reeve comes to mind. Played very well here last year, but previously before that, not very well. Can I go back to Shez this week? I think you can. Yeah, I mean, when you look at his three missed cuts prior to last year where he took runner-up, he wasn't playing as good a golf. Over the past about year and a half, he's really found something in his game, and he's just been playing better overall. We've seen some great finishes from him, so I'm comfortable with owning some shares of him this week, certainly. All right, we're talking to Jeff Bergerson from FantasyGolfInsider.com. Check it out. One of my favorite sites ever. Just want to throw that out there for you, Jeff. Thanks, right. Doc. Yeah, Byung Hung An. I love this guy, but this is where I do the Dr. Roto extra special analysis where I outthink myself. He was just in Dubai last week. Do I worry yep. that now he's going to I, – I don't like jet lag. I always think I wouldn't want to play with jet lag. How is this guy going to play? Do I worry about that this week? You know, my partner Zach is, is, is kind of on board with you. He hates jet lag as well. And sometimes it comes to fruition and sometimes it doesn't. We've seen other guys – um, play really well the following week, but you're right. So the the positive would be, or the negative would be, yeah, he's got jet lag. The positive would be he just played a desert course over in the Middle East, so um, maybe he's accustomed to it. Um, he has played well here in the past. He's playing good golf. My fear is that he's going to be so overheated. I've heard him in the industry be pumped up by just about everybody, and 8600 isn't really the cheapest price for him. So if he is so popular that he gets up above like 20% ownership, I'm, I'm, I think I'm happy to pivot off of him. All right. I, I am too. Cameron Champ is this new, young, really bomber type of guy. Is this course made for him? And my other question about Champ is everybody knows him. It's not like you're slipping him under the radar. I'm thinking of fading him this week. Agree or disagree? Um, I'm torn on this one, Doc. We haven't seen him play here, and he's a very course-specific player. So we saw him tear it up in the fall. He, he bombs it. He's by far the longest player off the tee on tour now. He's, he was driving at 340 last week. The problem with Torrey Pines last week, though, is the roughest thick. So if he gets off the beaten path, he's got to scramble out of it. And his approach game was awful last week. Now, this course is a little bit more forgiving the rough will be much shorter than tory last week uh it's kind of set up for bombers scorers he can score on par fives but his iron game has has to be better um so i'm kind of okay i know his upside is so tremendous and he's a great putter too so you mix a bomber with a good putter uh if he can get his approach game going um he's going to be low owned uh he'll probably be 10 percent or under so I'm owning some shares. I'll probably be equal to feel. I'll own 10, maybe 15%, just to have some exposure because he could, you know, he could dominate this tournament if everything's clicking for him. All right, talk me off Daniel Berger because I'm I'm way in on him. <laughs> way way more in on him than I should be. I think there's good reason to be. Uh, you know, last week he missed the cut at Torrey. That's not a great course for him. He's better on Bermuda greens. He played well at the Desert Classic two weeks ago on the comp course. 
He's been very good here in the past. Uh, I like Berger, and I'm going to own him this week. I, I think he's just he's too good of a player to be at 8,200. A couple weeks ago, he was at you know high sevens, so he's still right around a, a very good value. So I unfortunately can't talk you off of him, Doc. Okay, let me give you two guys in the 7,000 ranges, and I'm going to approach them for two different reasons. Marty Laird, Party Mar- Party Marty has been great course history, and then yep. Jason Cockrack has been hot over the last couple of weeks. Do you trust guys who are coming in hot? Do you trust guys with course history? Will you play either of these guys or neither? So Martin Laird is is a thorn in my side, and he always has been. Uh, he lives in Scottsdale, um, and he has had great success here at this course. Comp course two weeks ago, I had him at the Desert Classic. I knew he'd be low-owned, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a real sneaky play. And he was in fourth place after day one and then just fell apart day two, missed the cut. Or day three, I'm sorry, the cut was. Um, I'm off of him because I think he's going to be too popular this week. And to avoid him, uh, I'm happy because he's up and down for his career. He could easily miss his cut. So I'm off. Um, Jason Krokak, I'm also not going to own. He has played well the last couple times out, but um, just too inconsistent for me and some better options that I like down in that 7K range. All right, let's talk about guys like Sunjay M, JT Poston, Taylor Gooch. They've been very hot recently, but they've never played this course before. Does that bother you if a guy hasn't played here before? Do you need to watch him play for a year before you invest in them? Not necessarily, because for most of these young guys, every week is a new course for them. They have no tournament history anywhere. All three of those guys that you listed, I I think, are in play this week, and I like all three of them. They're playing really well. Um, None of them will be too highly owned, although Gooch might get some – get some some ownership because he's been – he's put up two straight great finishes – but I have ownership to all of them, and I kind of like the younger guys as opposed to like a, a Martin Laird type guy, <clears throat> um, even though they don't have much course experience. All right, let, let me get, I'm going to give you a couple of guys who I think I'm I'm in on this week, but t- well, talk me out of it possibly. Sam Burns, okay. Chesson Hadley, and JJ Spawn. I always like JJ Spawn on the West Coast. He was a dog last week, but maybe I'm getting oh. some recency bias in, on him. Yeah, J.J. Spawn, you know, he's a San Diego guy, and last week's result um, kind of surprised me because he usually plays well on POA. And, and um, this week, <clears throat> yeah, people are going to fall off of him. They're going to be tired of uh, a couple bad um, performances in a row. So I, I, I'm okay with J.J. Spawn. I'm not going to talk you off that one. Justin Hadley's been really bad. Um, he's a good fit for this course, I think, when his game is right. But it hasn't been right over the past month, so I, I won't. I'm going to talk you out of Hadley. All right, let's go under seven thousand um, dollars. I know Joel Dahman is a very popular player for for you guys. Is there any other guy under seven thousand? Ali Schneider Jans has had very good course history here. Any guys you're interested here? Yeah, there's a bunch of guys, and I and I think it would be a pretty decent strategy to go a stars and scrubs type roster this week if we think. Rom and Thomas are going to be lesser owned than the guys in the 9K range. We could own Rom, Thomas, <clears throat> stack them on one lineup or own a 9K guy with one of them. Drop down to this 8K range where if you're doing multiple lineups, if you're doing five lineups or something, you can mix and match in the 6K range because nothing's a given in this range. These guys, there's no for sure. You mentioned Domin. Yeah, he's been, he's been great. He's been 
a great cut maker, but also showing some upside with the top 10 last week. Um, Bud Colley's back this year from um, his horrible car accident last last year, which um, put him out of commission. Um, he's at 6,900. I think that's a reasonable play in this area. Um, Ted Potter Jr., 6,800. No one's going to own him. You could throw a, a dart at him. Trey Mullenix is trending in the right direction. He's at 6,700. So I guess my strategy, Doc, would be to lock in the guys up top who you like. And it, let's say you're doing a few lineups, mix and match these guys along with those top guys. And, you know, if one of them has a breakout performance, then you have a shot at winning a big GPP. All right. Give me a name. Give me a guy who's going to win this tournament, Jeff. You always do this to me, Doc. I do. I always <clears throat> do this too. I live for it. I live for it. Um, I'm going to go with um, – I'll give you. I'll give you a, a, a name who I really think is going to win, but also a guy with good odds that I think you can take a shot on. Uh, I'm going to say Webb Simpson to win. Uh, you're not going to get great odds on him. He'll be twenty twenty five to one. But I'm going to say Emiliano Grio. Uh, you can get it about sixty to seventy to one. That I think has the skill set to play well here. Hasn't necessarily translated in the past, but I just like his game for this course. So I, I would take a shot at him about sixty to seventy to one. All right, Jeff Bergerson, stay warm. All right, be well, my friend. <laughs> Will do, you too, Doc. All right, talk to you soon. That's Jeff Bergerson from FantasyGolfInsider.com, breaking down the Waste Management Open. Adam Ronis and I are back talking baseball right after this. If you've heard of WeatherTech floor liners, you probably know that for your vehicle's floor, nothing protects better. But what about protection for the rest of your car or truck? I'm David McNeil, founder of WeatherTech. Besides our floor liners, we design, engineer, and manufacture a wide range of automotive accessories right here in America. And just like our floor liners, everything is done to the highest standards possible. We understand what kind of investment owning a vehicle can be, so we do everything possible to help you protect it. We don't take shortcuts, and we never make concessions when it comes to quality. For everything from cargo liners to cleaning and detailing supplies to mud flaps and car covers, the one place you need to go is WeatherTech.com. So if you are familiar with our floor liners, just imagine how well the rest of our products will work for you. Learn more about our full line of automotive accessories at WeatherTech.com or call 1-800-CARMATS. WeatherTech.com, proudly made in America. Game time decisions. You know, play out your freaking contract and then go sign where you want to sign. But to do this a year and a half before you're a free agent leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, a lot, a lot of guys, like, we, you know, we've seen these super teams in the past, like with the Miami Heat, you know, what they were able to put together. Uh, guys pretty much uh, want to dictate where they go, especially when they're a free yeah, agent. But at least LeBron James was a free agent. Weekdays, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, only on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Maurice Allen, 2015-2016 European Long Drive Tour Champion, 2017 World Number One. Me personally, I keep my game face on me all the time. Especially coming out of the bunker, leaving the range, or even leaving the course. What's your story? Go to GameFaceGrooming.com for all your athletic facial wipes and body cleansing needs. All right, we're back. 
You got the game? Just got a gut feeling? No problem. Now you can bet from anywhere, anytime with the all-new MyBookie mobile betting platform. Oh, Mrs. Roto is going to love that, Ronas. With the MyBookie mobile platform, you'll enjoy the safety and convenience of at-home betting when you're on the go. Try it out today and you'll never miss another winning bet. Head on over to MyBookie.ag and open an account with the promo code FNTSY and MyBookie will match your deposit up to $1,000. Yes, that's right, $1,000. That's MyBookie.ag, promo code FNTSY. That's what I'm missing in my life, Ronis. I'm missing a betting mobile app to really hammer down the divorce I'm going to have. Yeah, it certainly could lead you that way. Unless you have success, then it can bring the relationship even closer with the money that you win. It's You're just so going to have to hide some of it. You're going to have to hide some of it. Yeah, I didn't do as well tonight. I didn't do as well tonight. Sorry. Yeah, here's 100 bucks. Right. If I win, all is good, Ronis. If I lose, call the lawyer. Yeah, there's the upside and downsides just like anything in life, and that's the case there with uh, that. But, uh, again, if you know what you're doing, especially with player props, you know, we, we player props are a big part of what we do in fantasy every week. That's kind of essentially what we do. It is. Well, by the way, but before I get into that, did I ever tell you that my wife's cousin is on Real Housewives of Atlanta? Did you ever see that show? I have never seen that show. I am aware she's of it. She's a divorce lawyer for one of the, girl, one of the housewives. So she's oh, really? kind of like famous in Atlanta. Yeah, I'm like, that's just what I need in my life. I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, that is stay not married, good at all. Otherwise, I'm dead. I'm she's dead. basically <laughs> sending you a message. You exactly. divorce me, get ready to lose you know, everything. Exactly. I'll walk out with like my shirt, my hat, and my sneakers. That'll be about it. But, um, you know, well, I mean, you're right about the prop bets. Because she, when I think about it, what do we do every week? Julian Edelman's going to go eight for 90. Uh, you know, Cordero Patterson is going to go five for 32. Well, when if you feel that way and Patterson is over under catches for three, then bet the over. Yeah, and the key is, especially now with the Super Bowl, you don't have to uh, bet every single prop bet. We know some of them are absolutely ridiculous. So you just kind of have to weed your way through and try and figure out, okay, where, where are the ones that I can take advantage of? And especially sometimes when they come out early, you can because it's not – you don't see as much movement with the prop bets as you do with the money line because obviously bigger money is bet there. There's certainly a limitation on some of the prop bets because you look at some of them, you're like, wait, how can you do this? You know, what if, uh, you know, if it's on something that Tony Romo says, you don't think he can have some close friends? Yeah, I'm going to say over, put some money on it. But that's why they don't have a huge amount of money on those prop bets. Prop bets get me in trouble only in the fact that let's just, I'm just going to throw Todd Gurley at 82 yards, right? For our, our argument's sake. Maybe in my head, I'm like, oh, Todd Gurley is going to get 94 yards. That's my thought. And then I see 82. And then I start to question myself. I'm like, what does Vegas know that I don't, Adam? Right? They're smarter than I am. And then I get myself all worked up and then I end up making dumb plays. Yeah, but sometimes, like, sometimes they're easy. I know, uh, like, I went over some player prop bets in NBA on Monday night and won almost all of them. Unfortunately, I didn't put any money on them. But uh, the Damian Williams won the first uh, week of the playoffs uh, against the Colts. They were real low, and I think that was partly because they were expecting Spencer Ware back because it was the first week practicing. So if you got in on that early and even up until game day, they were pretty easy. So sometimes... And nothing is ever easy, but especially if you do play fantasy football, I think you have a little bit of an advantage there, and you can just pick out the right ones and exploit and take advantage of it. I actually agree with you. I mean, 
I would like to think that you and I are in the top the top one percent of what we know about the game, the players. I, I mean, Vegas can't handle people like Adam Ronis and Dr. Roto. We're just on a you know we should know what we know. I mean, sometimes it happens. We're, we're wrong, but for the most part, prop bets should be a, a winnable solution for us every night, shouldn't it? Yeah, it should be a way to exploit. And obviously, injuries happen, poor performance, but a lot of times you look at it and you feel good uh, about a certain amount, and I think you could take advantage of it. One of my friends bet Sammy Watkins. It was four and a, it was four and a half, and he took the over. And Sammy had four catches the other day. I'm like, ugh. I yeah, don't know that's... if I would bet catches. I bet yards. Yeah, I think I think it depends on who it is uh, for the receptions. But like with Watkins, you know he doesn't get heavy volume, but you know he's a big plate threat. So with the at the four offense, and a half, would you have gone under? Probably. I did like him in that game though, like as a deep like fantasy sleeper. Uh, what's crazy though is you say, well, they have Tyree Kill, they have Kelsey, they have Williams. Though, and Kel- and Tyreek had one catch. Kelsey yeah. didn't do much. The, but again, the problem in that game was the Patriots had the ball the entire game. They ran ninety four plays. I, I would have taken the, the under on forty seven. I know. I would have taken the under on Kelsey though all the way. I mean, you yes, knew uh, you the did. Patriots had to stop him. You knew it. Yeah, you mentioned that before the game, so that would have been one where you could have taken advantage. Now, do you bet it the same way? If it's Kelsey, if, if they say over under Kelsey, can I put, you know, how, how much can I put down? 20 bucks, 50 bucks? How is it done? Because I don't, I don't know I don't what the that. max is, but yeah, you could put that much down. And then obviously there's, uh, there's odds on it. So it could be minus 110, uh, minus 115, whatever it is. But yeah, I just don't think you can put major money on those prop bets. Well, maybe the, the ones with the, like, the coin toss and the Gatorade color, because you know, that can be controlled a little bit. Well, no, that's true. I, I would. That's what people worry about. But the thing you, is that there's don't not. Don't you think a, they know who's dumping what color Gatorade, and somebody out there knows it? They could, yeah. And he tells his friends. The problem is though, you can never make a huge amount off it because there's a limitation. They know that they they would never allow you to bet a hundred thousand dollars on that. Do you, if you were in Vegas, would you ever bet on you know the Mets winning eighty three games? Do you ever bet, make those bets? Do you like those bets? Like the Kings, the Kings were over under twenty five. You you'd already win that. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I don't need to go to Vegas to do it. I'm in Jersey, so I could do it on my phone right now. <laughs> Look at you. Mobile betting right there. Adam yeah. Rose. So the problem with those bets is you tie up your money for, if you do it now, like eight months. So do you really want to do that? No. I mean, unless you feel strongly about it, you say, this is a no-brainer. And I think sometimes with over-under wins-losses, I think you, there are always a few that stand out. You're like, really? This is a joke. So if you don't mind tying up that money for that long... It's fine. Uh, it's just you have to wait for the payout. And especially in today's environment, I don't think people want to wait around six, seven months to get a payout. I mean, we do it in fantasy, I guess, but I we feel do like. We do it in fantasy. You we drop do. 1500 and you wait four months to see if you want it. That's true, also. But I also think we kind of have more control over that in a way. I mean, obviously, there is an element of luck that's involved, but I think the people who drop that type of money are confident that they're going to at least cash out. Whereas with this prop bet here, you know, you don't have control over it. So I have to tell you, I think that the legalized gambling is going to make states very rich. It's already made New Jersey very rich. There's oh, a lot yeah. Of, a lot, oh, yeah. And New York. I, but is, I, I do, I, look, I'm not trying, I'm certainly not one of these people. Well, I think there's going to create a gambling epidemic. Could I argue that the, you know, for the 1% of people that that happens to, all the money that comes to the state is worth it because it's going to hopefully go to good things? I agree, and I had a, a pretty, uh, not an argument, but 
a debate with my friend because he's had gambling issues in the past and he said this is not good and I said there's so many things in life that are not good it's up to the individual to control it and maybe it's easy for me to say because I don't have that problem and if I ever did have that addiction maybe my mindset would change but I guess because I feel I have pretty good self-control over things and you know, you can make the case for anything, alcohol, cigarettes, shopping, anything. I mean, everyone is going to be addicted to something, but what are you supposed to do? Uh, you can't account for everyone. At some point, an individual has to be responsible for what they do. So the bottom line is if people really want to gamble, they're going to find a way. So by just making it legal, it's just a way for the states to make money. And, you know, some states have kind of been slow and not but wanting the states to get have there. to take that money and put it back into things like education right. or, or, so, or something. You know, it's got to come back to, to the people. That's what I think. Right. I mean, and again, you pointed out in New Jersey how much money was made. I forgot the figures off the top of my head, but they huge. made a lot of money. And, uh, you know, other it was states like eight should to take 12 notice. million dollars in taxes, Rona. Something huge I mean, like yeah. that. Yeah. So other states have to take notice and say, you know, this is, is good for this for business. And, you know, it's going to happen regardless. People will find a way to gamble if they want to. Right. I think New York said something like they could make $30 million in such a, you know, just from the taxes of it all. They need to speed it up. I don't know what's because you know what people are doing right now is some They're driving people, to Jersey. Right. Or just taking the train or just coming over the bridge. You could take the train essentially from Penn Station, one stop, get off, put in your bets and go back home. To Jaguar Lou was written up in the post about right? that. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, he was riding his bike over the bridge, yeah. the, making the bets and then going back. Can you blame him? No, not at all. Again, if you can make some money and you feel like there's a profit to be made, why not? It's not that big a deal. Yeah, I just think, and was it because they, when they register your phone, the, the, the location, they know it's in New Jersey, right? Right. Yeah, it's an IP address. So uh, our, our boy uh, Ed, he does that because he works in Jersey. So he'll make the bets here and then go back home. Really? Now, that's, that happens like in Nevada. So I can't, when we go out to Vegas... I have to put my teams in here in Florida first, but then when I get to Nevada, I can change my teams. I just can't purchase any new teams. Right for DFS, yeah, it's just, right. it's the same thing because it's not legal there. So yeah, if you already have your lineups built in another state where it is legal, and then you go over there, you can edit, but you cannot create one from scratch. So you have to be aware whenever you're going to Vegas and you plan to play DFS that you have to have the lineup built first. Does your, your, does your new uh, woman like the fact that you uh, bet, bet, or does it not ever come up? No, uh, there's no concern. Knows it's part of what I do. So, uh, no, no concerns. Yeah. That, that's my job, Len. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is, though. Like, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it really is. It's not like I'm lying. But I need to watch the game. It's my job. I, I, you know how many times I use that line, dude? At least once a week. But it's true, though. Like, last night, you know, the sweating NBA, I got to watch. I mean, I don't want to just set the line up and leave, man. It's no fun. Part of, you know that. You do the golf thing for four days. That's isn't part of it is just sweating and watching it out. I mean, there's... Do you know how insane I am over four days, Ronis? I can Literally, imagine, I'm bro. Insane. Yeah. I'm, I'm insane. <laughs> but, no well, I guess the, I was going to say, what about the first two days? But I guess those are important because you need those guys to make the cut. Well, I'm not insane Thursday. Friday, okay. I'm insane because yeah, I need the guy to make the cut, and it could be literally one birdie on the last hole to make the cut, and that changes everything. So Friday and Sunday are the real two big days, obviously. Two, yeah, those are the crazy. Those are the tilting days. Thursday and Saturday, it's more like the, all right, how are we doing? Friday and Sunday is just tilting. So you don't watch much on Thursday? No, of course I watch, but I mean, at Thursday, you just don't want to see your guy be plus four because then right. you know it's over. 
right? So if my guy could be hanging around minus two, minus three, and then you see that the cut line is minus four, you're like, all right, I just need a, a birdie here. That's the next part of the tilt. Because what inevitably what happens is you have three guys who are killing it, and then you have one guy who's killing you. Right, you know yeah. I mean? Yeah, you just need to, you just don't want to get buried on Thursday. Right, just don't want to get buried. You just want to be in the, if you're in the mix, you feel great. And then if your guys make the cut, so a couple of weeks. What percentage of the time do you get buried on Thursday? I will be buried. So let's just say for randomly I play 20 teams. I will probably have four to five teams buried on Thursday because I'll have one guy who's like plus four. Right. And you probably have him in three, four lineups. Right, right. I'm dead. At that point, you just know you're dead. So what you want to do in any, it's like in any sport. Do you ever play the same guy in every lineup? You try to avoid that, right? You know, I try to avoid that, and I've been doing a better job of that lately. Like the other night, I didn't with Trey Burke, and I, I should have known. I mean, he was bad chalk because the Knicks rotations have been absolutely inconsistent. And we figured, okay, they have tons of injuries at point guard. No Moutier, no Nikitalina. Uh, Burke's got to play 35 minutes. And what happened? He didn't play much in the first half because that's what Fizdale has done. So I think that is a really good point. And I did a good job of that last night. Initially, I had Beasley in all four lineups. I wound up with him in one. And, you know, because for tournaments, I mean, cash, I could understand because even if you get Beasley at 75% owning cash and he sucks, everyone else has him too. But I think that is a very good point. And you have to do that, especially if you play in tournaments. Because you imagine if I had Beasley in 0-4 lineups last night, I wouldn't have cashed anything. He barely played. They took, he started the game and he barely played. I think he had like 12 fantasy points. So, yeah, as good as the, the value is on those guys. You can't have them in every lineup because if they no. if they suck, you're screwed. You're dead. You're right. So I mean, this week I really like Ricky Fowler. I do. I like Ricky Fowler. And I I saw I was like, out of 15 lineups, Ronis, I think he was in 14. I go, this is this is suicide. If he has a bad tournament, I'm done. So I had to I had to move him out of at least four or five lineups. So I'll still be overweight. I'll still have him in nine or ten, but I won't have him in all 15. I'll just move the other five around. And if he wins, then I'll I, I, I'll win nine ten lineups. I just won't win all 15. I just can't risk it because you can't go all in on one guy like that. It is literally DFS suicide. It is, and I think that's a lesson that I have really learned because a lot of times I'll go with the cheap guy saying well he's near minimum price and you know he's going to play 35 minutes and he's going to produce but there's always the possibility that they get yanked they there's a reason why these guys are not starters and why they don't play consistently because they're not as good so you have to take that into account and it's so easy to say i gotta play this guy and there are times where it really works out where that chalk just hits but i just gave you two examples in the last couple days with the nba where it did not work out and if you didn't have 100% exposure to that, you were really successful in the end. Do you know why I stopped playing NBA? So I, I, pl- I was playing for, for a little bit at the beginning of the season. And then there was Langston Galloway, right, from, the, from Detroit. And there'd be games where he would go for like 25 minutes and score 21 points. And I'm like, this guy's really cheap. He's only 3,800. I'll use him the next day. The next day he'd play eight minutes and score one point. I'm like, you're killing me. How does this happen? It's so, you, you know what Russell, Rest, Russell Westbrook's going to do. But the Trey Burks, the Galloways, all these other guys, you know, what if they get into foul trouble? What if the guy in front of them is playing well? There's so many variables in the NBA. It's very hard. It is. Uh, but with the Detroit situation, I pretty much avoid everyone in Detroit unless it's Blake Griffin or Andre Drummond. I know Reggie Jackson has an occasional good game. He actually had a good game yesterday. But for the most part, I don't, I don't care who's out. 
I know yesterday Reggie Bullock was out, Luke Kennard. No, I'm just not dealing with it. That's one team where I just will either play Blake or Drummond, and that is it. I'm just not dealing with anyone else on that team. And if they go off, great. And someone else has them, cool. But for the most part, with that Detroit team, I'm not playing anyone else. Yeah, no, I mean, just, you know, as uh, Tommy G used to say, don't play guys who suck. It's true. NBA, there's a little asterisk there because if a guy's going to get 35, 40 minutes, even if he's not <laughs> good, play him, right? he can reach value, especially <laughs> if he's near the minimum. So, but yeah, I mean, I guess in, for the most part, I do agree with that. And yeah, a lot of those Detroit guys, just they're not good enough. It's, for me, it's just Blake or Drummond. I, I, barely, I don't think I've played anyone else in Detroit this year outside yeah, of those two. I, I do not blame you. All right, so who's coming up an hour two, my man? We'll have Paige DeMacco. She's from TD Fantasy, also the director of fantasy football at C. So she's going to join me to talk the Super Bowl and a little bit about this fantasy cruise. I'll also go over the night in NBA DFS for tonight. All right, that sounds like a great hour. Are you getting excited for the Super Bowl? Getting there. I mean, it's Wednesday, so we still got a couple <laughs> days to go. But, yeah, as we get closer, I just feel like it's kind of, you know, I don't know. I just, it's all drawn on, and I, I don't know. I don't really love the media days as much as I used to. I've got Dr. Jess Flynn coming on tomorrow. The, uh, the team doctor up there in Boston. She loves her Patriots right now. She's oh, going good. To the game. So, oh, is she? Yeah, she's going to go to the game. We've got nice. to find out what's going on. Maybe she knows about Tom Brady's fountain of youth there. Yeah, I know. Can we get a little bit of advice on that? Can we help us out? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, this is Dr. Rono saying be well and take care. Stay tuned for Adam Ronas for Hour 2, back after this.